This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniform Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniform Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. Where we give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Practical for Your Practice. I am Dr. Kevin Holloway, one of your hosts, and I'm joined, of course, as always, by the fabulous, brilliant Dr. Corinne Lefkowitz. Welcome, Corinne. Thank you. Good morning. I'm not feeling pretty fabulous or um, brilliant <laughs> this morning, so we'll see what oh, happens. I, then you're in for a treat because I imagine the discussion today will make us all feel fabulous and wonderful, right? <laughs> it's one of those very uplifting, happy. Um, actually, so and I, in, in many ways, I'm glad you mentioned this because um, I think all of us providers are are oftentimes, um, you know, uh, I don't know if weary is the right word or, or concerned, but, you know, certainly any of us that have worked with clients that have had uh, suicidal thoughts, suicidal crises, that's, you know, a concern that a lot of us have about, you know, serving these uh, clients, these patients well. And our topic for today is, is kind of a tough one, I think, but I think a really, really important one. And joining us is uh, Dr. Megan Harvey, and uh, she'll be talking with us a little bit about postvention uh, around suicide. So welcome, Megan. Tell us about yourself. Hi, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm a bit of a podcast junkie, so I'm, I'm oh, jazzed awesome. to be here. My, my kids are also uh, aware that today's podcast day, um, and they were pretty happy about that for me. So, um, nice. uh, you know, as a psychologist, we don't get a lot of uh, the celebrity moments so this feels <laughs> closer to that than maybe I'll ever have so anyhow thanks for having me but um so I'm a psychologist and uh, I work for the VA I've been with the federal uh, government with the VA now for um over 15 years and I received my doctorate from the University of Cincinnati um, and did my postdoctoral, I did my internship with VA and then my postdoctoral work with the University of Colorado. Lived and worked in Denver for a long time at the Denver facility and then moved back to my hometown of Cincinnati um, not too long ago. And I now work with the Rocky Mountain MIREC for suicide prevention. So um, I'm delighted to be here and it's been a really lovely career that has offered me a lot of opportunities to support the mission uh, for serving veterans. Um, so happy to be here. Glad to have you. And and for those that are listening that may not know, the Rocky Mountain Myrick is really involved in a lot of uh, research and, and outreach efforts and, and intervention efforts around suicide and suicide prevention. Is that, mm -hmm. would that be accurate right. to say? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So we do a variety of different things within the MIREC. So MIREC stands for Mental Illness Research Education and Clinical Center. And there are uh, a handful of MIRECs across the nation within VA. Ours is focused on suicide prevention. And so there are several research studies going on right now and that have been happening in the past that support suicide prevention work and trying to understand 
So the, the underlying determinants of suicide and how we can better intervene. There's some clinical trials that are happening as well. We provide education and try and really make research accessible and offer things that clinicians can use in their day-to-day. So that is the education piece of it. I work in the clinical section and we do a variety of different implementation projects within the enterprise as well as uh, we do clinical services. One of the programs that I'll talk about uh, toward the end is our suicide risk management consultation program. And that's within our clinical program. And in that context, we offer postvention as well as consultation on uh, other challenges that come up in doing this work. But as you mentioned, Kevin, suicide prevention um, is challenging and the topic of suicide is often one that people want to not have to talk about. And so um, if we can offer support and help, that's, that's what we're here for. I appreciate that introduction, Megan. I also worked in the VA system for many years prior to coming to CDP. And man, even just as you're introducing that, I'm having a lot of memories of tough situations, tough clinical situations, losses that occurred um, while I was there. And uh, so I think this is going to be a rich, but maybe difficult discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad you're here to guide us through it. Maybe we can start by having you define a bit what postvention is. Sure. So while we really, uh, I think a lot of people are more familiar with the concept of suicide prevention and trying to stop suicide, fewer may know about the term suicide postvention and what that entails. So what I'm talking about is the immediate and ongoing support that's provided to people who are impacted by a suicide loss. So as much as we would like to prevent suicide, we are also very aware that at this point, suicide is one of the leading causes of death in the nation. Um, And within the veteran population, this remains a significant challenge and problem. So what do we do in the aftermath, I think, is the question that postvention tries to answer. And from the perspective of a provider or a clinician, I think the field in general has focused more on the administrative processes that happen when someone you work with has died. Absolutely. So it's... um, working with your management around chart reviews, morbidity, mortality reviews, et cetera, things that can feel pretty anxiety provoking and shameful, shameful. Yes. And assume that you had some role in what happened, although there are purposes. And I think the reasons why things like that are happen is so that we can learn so that we can better understand what, happened for the person? What happened with our clinical services? Is there anything that we can improve upon? But what often gets lost is the personal impact for the provider. So postvention does not do any of the administrative work. Instead, it's really built to help people 
who are in the throes of grief, in the aftermath of grief. So <clears throat> go ahead, Kevin. I was just going to say, I, I really, really appreciate that because while, you know, suicide, suicide prevention, suicide research isn't one of my specialties, um, I think, you know, I, I think like many providers, you know, you, we, we do hear about, you know, kind of basic skills we need to have when, you know, kind of uh, working with clients who may have suicidal ideation. And when I hear about postvention, I usually hear about working with family members and friends and maybe coworkers mm -hmm. of the of the person who has, has died by suicide and almost nothing about, you know, working with the provider who may have lost a client and, you know, mm -hmm. beyond the administrative stuff you were just talking about, like I've, I've not heard much at all about what, what do we do to support that, that therapist? So I really appreciate this. I'm looking forward to hearing more about this. Sure. It, yeah. I, I think that, and I, my experience in the, throughout my career has been varied and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, one of the one of the hats I wore for a while was more of a leadership hat, administrative role. So I saw it from that end of things. I think, but when I started at the Myrec, thinking about and learning about postvention in a different way, and acknowledging that many providers, many of us, will lose uh, lose someone to suicide at some yeah. point in their career. You know, we can't expect that that will never happen. It's sort of like a medical doctor who works in primary care. Some point in the career, their careers, one of their patients will likely die of a heart attack or some other, some other cause, right? So similarly, we can anticipate that loss may happen. And what is so important is to acknowledge that loss to suicide can have a very profound impact both personally and professionally. I don't know about the two of you, but I, I can say that, you know, I got a lot of advice as a younger clinician. And then as my career evolved around leaving work at work, uh -huh. and I've never been great at that. Um, <laughs> I do okay. But I think sometimes we take the work with us. If it's a heavy content, yeah. Uh, work piece of work that we're doing. You know, I know that you do some prolonged exposure, Kevin. I do as well, and so sometimes, sometimes stuff comes with us. Hopefully yeah. not, but sometimes it does, and that's just the reality. And I think that with suicide loss in particular, to really normalize that this the person, the provider is going through a process of grief and they're having a range of grief reactions that are going to show up at home just like they do at work. So we can't expect a person to sort of leave it there and not be impacted. You know, we come to really know the people that we work with. We come yeah. to really enjoy them as humans and care a great deal about them. So when they die and then they die tragically to suicide, then of course we're going to have reactions. We're going to have grief experiences and a whole variety of other impacts that I can share a little more about if you'd like. Yeah. I was just going to say too, that I, I think, you know, certainly working with trauma, this is something that, 
we encounter. And I'm, I haven't, luckily, I, I will, you know, knock on wood, I have not had a client who have died, has died by suicide, but I acknowledge that it certainly could happen. But I think about, too, like, you know, you kind of have this added layer of difficulty processing that because of, you know, of course, the need to protect confidentiality, even as after a client has died, you know, by suicide, perhaps, or by other means. And so, it also feels like there's limits on how you can process this. You can't just talk about it with just anybody um, and work through that because of the the difficulty of you know, needing and, and appreciating, acknowledging the need to protect confidentiality. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for um, saying that, Kevin, because I, I felt myself wanting to have like a group therapy session of asking like, <laughs> have you ever lost somebody from suicide? Um mm-hmm. So, I'm, so thank you for acknowledging that you haven't. I've been yeah. thinking about my own experience where I, I have lost a patient um, to suicide. And Megan, so much of what you're saying really resonates from the reality that immediately after it happened, you know, um, my reaction was just shame. Like, oh, what are what are other providers going to think of me? Um, I had a student at the time who was involved in the case. What's the student going to think about the experience? Um, what's the chart review going to look like? Did I document everything appropriately? And then, uh, and even now, as we're talking about it, my initial, my gut. Re- uh, my knee-jerk reaction is I want to be able to tell you, but these were the details that explain right. what happened, right? Like I want to um, absolve myself of guilt. The next piece is really the emotional piece that came because like you're saying, Megan, I cared about this client, cared, care about all my clients, don't want this to happen and um, was unable to talk about it with many people. Now, I'm so lucky that my supervisor at the time was incredible. And she said something to me that had stuck with me. Um, You know, this is 10 plus years out. And she said something along the lines of, we we need to acknowledge that sometimes things like depression and PTSD are fatal diseases or lethal diseases. Very much similar to Megan, I think what you were saying about how a physician has to accept that they're going to lose patients uh, sometimes. And that was really helpful for me to hear. But I wonder if my experience is similar to what you hear from from other providers or different or what you're hearing from people who call in for consultation. Well, first of all, I'm sorry that you went through that experience and sorry that you had that loss. Uh, I'm also sorry for your the student as well. I think the impact for those who are newer in their careers is something that we are thinking more about because it is, I think it's a vulnerable time. Just generally, we're trying to find our footing and start to gain some more confidence. And so when loss happens, I think it can really shake a person's confidence no matter where they are in their career. Mm-hmm. But certainly in your earlier phases. So I, I hope that person, um, I'm I'm sure that if they were working with you, that you were uh, gracious and gave them support that they needed. But that's also hard to do when you're also going through right. the scenario yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. And I do think you know, people talk about feeling pretty alone and feeling pretty stigmatized, mm-hmm. uh, not knowing who they can talk to and share with. And so when they, because what we do is offer individual postvention processing sessions that are really focused on normalizing the grief reaction, giving a space for the person to share how they're doing. 
it's not like therapy, but a one-time interaction where we can sit with the person, sit with their grief together, give them a space to talk and acknowledge that this is really challenging, give some, give some information about what they might expect and uh, in normalizing also just acknowledging that some things are likely showing up so you talked about guilt you know there's this sense of responsibility and ownership that i think providers have and assumptions that they make themselves about their own responsibility for this person's mm-hmm. actions and ultimately it it was sadly and tragically their choice And that is something that is hard to grapple with. And we have, there's a term that I think applies so poignantly to this experience. It's called the hindsight, the tyranny of hindsight. Mm -hmm. So there's the sense of, it's the epitome of Monday morning quarterbacking, right? So what should I have done? What could I have done? And that that can, you know, you can start to ruminate on, all the different pieces of that person's clinical care that they received, that what did you miss? What did you not say? What was the last interaction like? Yeah. And on and on and on. Which, which can sometimes be reinforced by those necessary administrative processes where we're looking at, you know, what were the conditions prior to, what were the points of contact and, and almost not intentionally, but almost reinforces those concerns. Like if we had just done X, Y, or Z, Mm -hmm. maybe this could have been avoided. That's right. That's right. And I think when we are able to do postvention, the aim really is to get resources to the person early on and offer support early on, because what we have come to know is that experiencing a loss to suicide and being a survivor of loss is in and of itself a risk factor for suicide. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of downstream and upstream suicide prevention type work, if you will. So if we can start to offer and make connections with people early, then we can give them some tools, reinforce coping strategies, encouraging them to uh, see the self-doubt that might be showing up as a professional and maybe take a step back and recognize, wow, I've become very risk averse and I'm making decisions clinically that maybe aren't that helpful to the people that I'm serving because I'm really scared that this is going to happen again. And what will this mean if it does? Right. Um, Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah, really, that resonates quite a bit. Like I, I can remember immediately after rethinking every everything, you know, do I really want to do prolonged exposure anymore? Do I really want to do these types of treatments that maybe are a bit riskier or push patients to be on their comfort zone um, and other ways of being risk averse as well? So that really uh, sounds familiar. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate you couching it in you know, the sense of we still need to be mindful of what good clinical care looks like, um, even in the aftermath of a loss, a suicide loss. Yeah. yeah. 
it occurs to me too, though, as we're talking about this, there, there certainly are a lot of impacts to the provider themselves and therefore the kinds of decisions they might make or how they might interact with, with other of their clients in the future from there. Um, and I wonder too about kind of just stepping out another layer from that, like in that workplace, in that clinic, or, you know, what are the impacts within that clinic or, or of work processes or, you know, coworkers interactions that can come from um, a client dying by suicide and, and, are there resources to, to help, uh, I guess, support the larger group of people that might be involved? Sure. And before we shift to the broader workplace, I will just encourage providers who may be listening that if you find yourself in this situation, um, I think that there's a couple things that I would that I would really Please, strongly yeah. suggest. So the first of all, find someone to talk to. Right. So if that's a supervisor, if that's a close friend uh, that you can share openly with, if it is your own therapist that you work with that can help just support and offer a space for you to grieve, to air your self-doubt, to work through some of the unhelpful cognitions that are likely showing up. So that I think is really important. And we have a provider section, which we can post in the notes for our podcast today about uh, that offers a really great link to the Uniting to Support Postvention website. And that includes a link for providers themselves who are loss survivors. And there's a lot of great information there. And that's an outward facing website that we designed really to help support loss survivors. And so we have a section in there for providers. We also have a section for the workplace. And we'll be talking about that here in just a moment. And then also there are great resources. And I've come to learn that there is a coalition for of clinician survivors who have uh, themselves developed a website and they offer support groups. So Great way That's to connect wow. with other folks who are doing walking a similar road. And that's amazing in a way that's outside of your organization, because sometimes that might not feel like the safest place to be doing this with a mm-hmm. with a supervisor, for example. So so right. I wanted to offer that. And then I and then I wanted to just just to answer your question, Kevin, I think the workplace is an environment that can really be impacted. So I think there is a scenario like we're talking about with Corinne bravely sharing about her own experience. So what can a workplace do to support that type of loss? And I think that looks like supervisors being aware, supervisors knowing that a loss has occurred, Asking and checking in with their employees, with those providers, what do you need? Are there things that you uh, would find helpful within your work? Can we, is there a certain type of work that you're doing right now that you want to step away from and you can fill in the blanks with something else? So there are things like a supervisor might work with a person and say, you know, really, what do you need? What do you need? How is the workload? Do you want to take some time off? Some people find that they need some space. 
Some people find that the work itself is really helpful because it offers a schedule, yeah. it offers routine, yeah. and sure, they get sure. support from their colleagues and coworkers. Maybe they shift their duties a little bit. Uh, so the supervisor can do a lot in that scenario. In a healthy work environment, it can be a place for the for the provider to move through the grief and find the emotional support. And then coworkers themselves can offer emotional support and tangible support as well. So I think that if it's a colleague of yours that's going through a loss to suicide, checking in with them periodically, sending a quick Teams message, hey, thinking of you, I hope you're having a, a good day. Let me know if you need anything. Or, hey, let's go out for a cup of coffee and just take 30 minute break together and just check in. And you can also ask to learn more about the person, learn more about the work that you did together. Uh, I think that can be an important, tangible way. So these are like small things that I think add up to make a big difference. Yeah, big impact. Yeah, small things, but yeah, they add up to something huge. And I particularly appreciate that you're um, identifying that every provider may need something different, right? The, the first step is to ask, what do you need? What, what, how can we help you get through this? But for some, it may be working more. For some people, it may be working less, depending mm-hmm. on what they need. It might be talking about it. It might be talking about anything but it. Um, yeah, so right. I really appreciate recognizing that every loss is not the same. Every provider is not the yeah. same. People will need different things. Mm-hmm. But having that dialogue. Good. Yes. Yeah, well, I'm glad that's helpful. And I, I do want to zoom out even further. So we've been talking a little bit about an individual loss for a provider within the context of their clinical work. And I just want to acknowledge that loss to suicide happens for other groups of people as well within a coworker scenario, workplace scenario. So for example, we have worked with teams who are anticipating a coworker returning to work after extended leave because of a personal loss to suicide and not knowing how to, what do I say? I don't know what to say to this person. I'm really nervous. I want to support them. I'm going to say the wrong thing and what will happen. And I don't want to hurt them. What we tend to, what we often say is saying nothing is the equivalent of saying the wrong thing. Mm. So we want to be able to acknowledge in some way, even if you just say, I don't know what to say right now, but I just want you to know that I'm glad you're back at work and I'm really sorry for what you went through. Yeah. And so important. So important. I mean, I think, and we all can, I think we can all think about scenarios where you're like, I, this, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. It's better for me not to say anything, but the person who's returning to work is feeling very alone and feeling a lot of stigma. And so if we can say the person's name, the deceased person's name, I'm so sorry to hear about John. Can you share a little bit with me sometime? about him Mm -hmm. some of your happy memories that you have or the things that you liked about john 
So that's an example of something that could really make an impact. And if you feel like you can't do it right off the bat, that's okay. You can, this experience of grief is one that will take some time, take a lot of time. And we have the holidays upon us right now. That's a good time to check in with people, see how they're doing. Anniversaries are another time birthdays, if you know of those. So that's one thing I wanted to share. And then another is sometimes, tragically and sadly, we may lose a coworker to suicide. And I just want to encourage listeners who may have some responsibility in the leadership realm, how important it is to acknowledge loss and acknowledge the death of a team member should that happen while respecting privacy laws. What we see is leadership gets pretty scared. I think they're ruffled by this type of loss in this event more than perhaps other events that they're used to managing. And I think a good rule of thumb is how do we handle any other death by any other cause? Of, for one of our employees. So putting out a notification soon after it happens that while acknowledging and respecting privacy laws promotes hope and healing, offers resources, and provides a notification and acknowledgement of the person that is part of the organization who has died and the work that they did while they were part of the organization. So I think that's so important and that is one thing. So if I could leave that message for people who are in positions that may be able to make an impact with those early messages, that's something I would just really strongly uh, encourage because when it's not when it's not handled in a way that offers transparency and support, people feel that. And this is a way that we can offer support for the people who are uh, confused, grieving, and at a loss for what to do next. So thank you, Megan. Yeah. Yeah. Those tips of what to do at every level, really every level from the individual provider to the the larger organization are so helpful. Um, And I appreciate that one of the aspects of that is recognizing that sometimes you worry you could say the wrong thing or you so therefore you say nothing at all. Um, And and those are examples of, of course, what we all fear may happen, ways that we might fear doing the wrong thing. And that is kind of a natural segue into (laughs) talking about um, maybe a time when things didn't go as planned for you, Megan. So to give you some some context in this season, We've been asking all of our guests to share with us a confession, if you will, of a time when something didn't go right, something went sideways, or at least something went unexpectedly, um, whether it was in your own case or in consultation or something along those lines, not as a way of embarrassing us, because as we've talked about, there's enough stigma already that exists (laughs) in this field. We don't need more, but rather as an opportunity to, first of all, normalize that things go wrong sometimes or things go unexpectedly. And that we can often recover or at least learn a lesson to help us move forward from that. So I wonder, do you have something that uh, an experience that you'd be willing to share with our listeners? 
Sure. And I can think about one comes to mind for postvention work. So as I noted, one of the things that we do in our suicide risk management consultation program is offer postvention processing. And sometimes that is in a group format and sometimes it's individual based. And I'm recalling a time when we had a group of providers, a team was coming together to begin processing the loss. And I was nervous. I just, I, I was newer doing postvention work. I was nervous. I had notes up because it was remote. And I, I think I was about five minutes in maybe. And I realized I'd never even said my name. It like took a breath to like oh, introduce wow. myself. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I just took a step back and I and I just acknowledged it. I just like put a put a name to the whole thing. Like I'm feeling nervous. I want to do well for you. And and I also recognize I didn't even share my name. And that this is hard, what you're going through. And I think that I hope anyway that it came across in a way that help me feel relatable perhaps Mm -hmm. and kind of walking together in this like human journey that we're in Um, and knowing that I, you know, we, none of us have the exact right things to say at the exact right moment in every case or even most of the time. So (laughs) just acknowledge Bond certainly sounded human and genuine yes. in that moment of acknowledging I'm nervous and I want to do a good job for you. I I imagine and hope that that landed just as it landed for me um, today, sounding like, yeah, just being honest and upfront about it. And what an important time to really be human with another yeah. human in that room, right? And right. things are so can be so personal, you know, an experience like that. So, man, thank you for sharing that. That I, I think, you know, in, in some ways it helps me feel like, hey, you know, in the future, when when I'm encountering a situation like this, I have some ideas on what to do and it doesn't, I don't have to be perfect at it. And in fact, you know, even just saying something, even if it's not the perfect something, I don't have to, it doesn't have to be my responsibility to fix it for that person, but just be with them mm-hmm. in that space. That's it. That's exactly it. And it's, a, it's sort of maybe a segue to a shameless plug that I have for our consultation service. So our suicide risk management consultation program offers all a whole variety of different levels of support for providers who are doing the work of supporting, treating, walking with veterans who may be at risk for suicide. So The program does a variety of things that can support teams, support providers who are working with veterans and maybe are challenged by things like how to navigate a lethal means safety scenario or what to do for veterans who are having a unsuccessful level of engagement that is making it more challenging to get the help that they need to deal with the risk Uh and to get them moving forward in their recovery, talking through various scenarios that can apply to multiple veterans. 
but we also do postvention in that work. And so there's a subgroup of us that is available to help. And we do a variety of different consultations. And so if you do find yourself in this scenario as a leader, as a colleague, a coworker, not knowing what to do, not knowing what to say, give us a call. Give us a, as quick as an email. We'll put the contact information in there for you. Yep. It's free. It's available for providers, both in the VA as well as non-VA providers who are serving veterans at risk. So if there's been a loss to suicide and your organization is struggling a little bit with what to do next, you know, we are available. And if we can't help, we will get you to people who can. So I think that as long as we can come together and support one another, we'll all be in a better place. You know, our kind of our hashtag is never worry alone. Yes. What this is about. And that applies to prevention as well as postvention. So I do hope that we hear from folks and we would uh, be be happy to provide that. Again, it's free and we are uh, are just, our aims are to provide people with support and education that can be helpful for the work that they do. Because we really appreciate, we appreciate the, the importance of what you do each day serving others and helping them move forward is really crucial. So thank you for that. So true. You know, we, we wrap up every episode talking about actionable Intel, things that people can do right now, like that they can take away from listening to this episode and apply to their clinical work right now. And I got a few from our discussion so far. Um, Number one is just what you just said. Like we listeners to our our show have, who have listened to many episodes will know that we constantly talk about consultation and, (laughs) and pound consultation. And I love that you, you provided some resources here for consultation. Don't worry alone. Absolutely. That would be number one. One, it sounds like to me uh, for our discussion today. Number two would be, you know, kind of like find somebody you can talk to, whether that's a colleague or, uh, you know, a close friend, somebody that you can really confide in and, and really have those, you know, process through some of those experiences. Should you find yourself in that situation of a, a client dying by suicide or, you know, a coworker? And then it sounds like number three is, man, it, Megan, you've provided so many awesome resources. We're going to put those all those on the show notes, um, links and services, all sorts of things. So number three would be check out the resources, like get familiar with what's out there, perhaps even before you feel like you need need those services, you know, like know that they're there and and know, know that they're there so you can recommend them to perhaps colleagues too that, that uh, find themselves in this situation as well. Corinne, Absolutely. anything you'd add? Yeah, I have one to add, which is um, the notion that Megan mentioned of also supporting other colleagues who maybe have had a suicide Absolutely. loss. So if you know somebody who's had a, a loss, particularly of suicide, say something, acknowledge it, even yeah. if part of that is saying, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. That's an important takeaway for me. I love the the thing that you said, Megan, that saying nothing is similar to saying the wrong thing. So say something that that's going to stick with me as we after this episode. Mm-hmm. So good. good. Yeah. And I will say one of the resources that will connect providers to the idea of developing a postvention plan, sort of in the spirit of what you're saying, Kevin, yeah. it's so good to do it in a proactive way. Who will I outreach? If you're in private practice, what is my insurance information? 
having it on a just one piece of paper so that when you're in that moment of kind of feeling shock and, and not knowing what to do, you've already yeah. written it out. You've already got a good sense of a plan and you've thought about it in advance. So you you might come to it in a different place than you would otherwise. So I think that's a great, uh, also a, a great tip that I haven't had a chance to discuss. So thank you for that. And yeah, I think you, you hit, hit all the points. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, um, we were able to come together and talk about it. Me too. I thank you for coming. Like we really, I, I've really enjoyed this discussion. Um, I know we've, we've had some interactions before, but man, I, this is so great to have this conversation and talk about things that are not necessarily happy or joyful, but I'm, I'm actually feeling like I've, you know, I've got some, some useful tools and, and some things to think about. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, this You're was welcome. a tough conversation. Thanks for taking us through it. Yeah. Uh, again, in a very human way, which I appreciate. Well, thanks for making space for it. I think this is how we start to, to make the shifts and uh, to do, do business in a way that offers people healing and, and hope. For sure. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, our guest has been Dr. Megan Harvey. So, so much gratitude for having you here. And we appreciate this conversation. We will talk to you all in our next episode. And so until then, take care. Bye, everybody. Take care, Thanks. Everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, like, and share. Until next time. <laughs>